2: Season for the third time in franchise history.
3: I've been dreaming this my whole life. It's still have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man gonna dominate.
2: Offense, defense, special team. Yeah.
4: Let's go. What are we talking about?
0: Greg
2: Zerline
0: yeah. sends the ring.
1: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio, this is Derek Ciappone with our Midweek Podcast. How is everybody? How you doing? I hope things are going well. Well, it's a week where <laughs> minicamp is underway and there's pretty much nothing else. A couple things leaking out about Todd Gurley. Bunny Heads covered that yesterday. We have a big show planned for you uh, first Arlen Harris, former Rams running back, is on the show today. Talking about his life in the game and what he's been doing afterwards. And it's a pretty interesting story, I think. And then later on, Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati joins the show to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals as part of our tour in the league. So all that in mind, we have a big show planned for you. Before we move forward, we want to remind you that we are sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hallow's Team. Also, we're available anywhere podcasts can be found including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, everywhere you also find a podcast list with clutch points they feature an awesome app that puts loads of nba and nfl information at your fingertips check them out clutchpoints.com or download the app oh and don't forget to subscribe to and leave a five-star review on itunes it really helps us out don't forget our other shows and in network including rams uncensored that's our rated R podcast i know some of you are a little iffy on that one but those guys are funny guys and well if you're in for that kind of humor Good on you. They they also been getting some great guests, by the way. And then Bunny has with Steve and Johnny. Norm Hyde Tower has a new show planned for later this summer when it gets uh, when things calm down for him. So that show focused on, on breaking down film. We may see him on the show here just to visit sooner or later. Also, a contest is underway for iTunes. If we get two hundred five star reviews, one lucky one will get say five bucks towards a uh, NFLShop.com gift ticket. To what it is. And so, how it works, head over to iTunes, leave a five star review, and send us an email at Rams top 1945 with a copy of your entry so we know who won, so we know who to pick. Okay? We'll also read that feedback on the air. First up today is our interview with Arlen Harris. Really interesting guy. He has a story to tell, and it's a good one. So, check it out. Arlen Harris. All right, folks. I'm here with Arlen Harris, former St. Louis Rams. Running back. He played for the Rams when they were in the area of St. Louis. Also played for the Detroit Lions. Arlen, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Having ready for summer.
1: How's it feeling out there in the Midwest for the summertime?
2: It's good. You know, the weather is always unpredictable, but uh, we've been having some some nice days lately, so I can't complain.
1: Well, you're also involved with with coaching and so on and so forth. So you need those those nice days.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we need the the good days.
1: So, you know, thanks for taking nice sit down with us. I imagine you are a busy guy overall. How's life been treating you in the last few years and, and what's been going on with you?
2: Oh life life's been good, no complaints. Um, you know, I've been staying busy, like you said, coaching and training and you know, I got three kids so they're they're keeping me busy and uh actually uh moved away from the area last year to uh Tampa, Florida. And ten months later, we we moved back. So it's been a it's been a um, pretty um, exciting time for us.
1: The so life comes at you fast, <laughs> going back and forth. Yeah. So when I was doing the the research for this interview, I realized this would not be our typical interview. The player, you know, for a guy you you weren't in the league very long and. And but for a guy who wasn't known me very long, you have quite the story to tell. And I didn't know what to make of it at first. There's a lot more to you than what meets the eye. So I'm going to start from the beginning. Can you tell us about your early life and, and how you were raised to become the man you are today?
2: Oh yeah, I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania. You know, small blue collar town. Um, it was pretty unique. I got an opportunity to spend um, um, half of my life and a um, you know very. Um, dominant um, African-American culture and then literally the next part of my life before I head out to school the next six years I would say so from birth to 12 I spent uh, my opportunity and environment and then it switched on me from that 13 age to about 18 and um, that's where really I dug into sports and you know I'm a very football heavy background as far as my dad played college ball my uncle's um i got college that had some pro uh, some cousins had some pro experience so football's been a really big part of my um, my life and um you know just fell in love with the game and was I had the opportunity to follow my dreams to play in college and then eventually you know at the pro level so um you know it, it it's uh, you know just a testament of my of my my background and uh foundation of my family. Late. For me.
1: Well, you mentioned things changed for you from ages 13 to 18. What changed? What moved you away from the culture you were involved with early on in your life?
2: Well, my, my parents, um, you know, just work. Um, it just moved them out into, um, you know, a, a, I would say more of a middle class um, environment and, and a lot more diverse than what I was um, used to. And um, I always brag on that, just being able to be a chameleon in different environments and, um, you know, play baseball, football, you know, ran track, basketball, just was heavily involved um, in, in in sports and just being able to, you know, develop relationships with different walks of life and keep people with faith and, and just um the culture. So um, it it was good for us. It was definitely good for us.
1: And what about the game itself, a game of football caused you to not only embrace it but also seek playing it for a career in the NFL?
2: Oh for sure and You know it was really weird because i never thought of not playing you know it's kind of just like what we do in our family and you know we're from a a football town just this with the legacy of guys that have come before us so um you know my brother and i um just had a lot of success so with that we gained a lot of attention and i had great coaches and uh you know it was a yes sir no sir environment and uh you know we i would run through wall for for my guys and um, you know that's a unique you know time at that at that point so it was able to uh you know take me places that I never thought I would go
1: well your journey to the NFL took several different turns after high school first you know to Virginia then to Hofstra and you also had some personal struggles along along the way if you don't mind sharing what happened during that time in your life and, and what really straightened it out for you
2: well, coming out of high school, there there wasn't any accolade that I didn't receive. So, you know, I, I came out just, you know, very confident and just, you know, knowing that, you know, I could have picked, you know, any university in the country. And um, not a lot of people know it. I actually committed to Florida and, um, you know, wanted to play for Steve Spurrier. And, um, you know, I just waited, you know, recruiting even now is just totally different. I just waited too, too long and, um, you know, I was – literally the third back in the country. It was Justin Fargus, Ernest Graham, and myself. And I went on a visit with, uh, Ernest Graham and, you know, coach Spurrier literally told us whoever commits first, that's who we're taking. And Ernest beat me to the punch. And, um, I was devastated because I I just knew that that was the school for me. I, I wanted to commit right then and there. And, um, when I came home, I had to regroup and, you know, take some more visits and, um, I like University of Virginia. It's so where my quarterback, Dan Ellis, went. And, um, you know, I said, you know what? Let me go out here and, and give it a shot. I loved the visit. You know, I knew what Dan was about. And, um, you know, he was earning his way to be the starter. So that's kind of how things materialized with me, ended up uh, at Virginia. And uh, once I got there, you know, um, just, you know, got hit with the injury plague, you know, started, you know, a, a year. I got some. Preseason accolades and just never could, you know, turn the corner with staying healthy and um, staying on top of the the, the workload um, academically because UVA is was, was really you know tough, you know, for me um, academically and uh, you know uh, each year I had a new I had a different offensive coordinator and a different position coach, literally for four years in a row. So I had to learn a new offense and then I had someone teaching me that offense you know, that was different. And then I had, um, you know, two head coaches and, you know, George Walsh just passed away not too long ago. No, less in peace for him. But, you know, I, I bought into what he won and had a new uh, coach come in and change the atmosphere. And, uh, and I felt like it was just time for me to go a different direction. And that's what, that's what landed me at Hofstra and, um, had a great experience there. Um, you know, I had some great teammates and earned my way to be in the starter there and, was about to play on ESPN against number one ranked Montana. And sure enough, right before I stepped on the field, they told me that I wasn't eligible (laughs) literally two minutes before kickoff. So, um, to say the least, that just tested my faith and just what, you know, where football was right, right then in my life. So, um, I just fought my way through it, man. I, I just, That's just how I was raised. and You know, earned earn, earn my um, chances to get invited to an MVP. I'm sorry, an MVP, an all-star game, and earned MVP of that. And that's really what put me back on track to try to um, get back in the NFL. And, um, you know, the Rams took a shot at me, and the rest is history.
1: So let me just back up for a moment. You had all this stuff going on in the field. You had some academic issues, but you also had a lot of personal things going on as well, which I'm sure played a role in – the academic side of it is I read this article that you wrote a while back for the where you talked about everything ranging from pretty much a lot of stuff that teenagers do. Teenagers go to college and do crazy things and then they deal with them, you know, drinking and so on. So, so, so what really personally happened in your life that you want to talk about that helped, well, not help but hurt you along the path? And, and then the second part of the question is you mentioned your faith. How did your faith help pull you out of that?
2: Well, I, I was raised in—I mean, I was in church probably five days a week <laughs> growing up, and um, having that foundation and that being a—you know—an extension of family. Um, you know, I was raised with a, a strong value system, and you know, developing relationship—you know—with with Jesus Christ on my own. So once I left the nest, per se, like you know, most kids, a lot of that got tested. You know, mom and dad was there to hold my hand not go to that party and don't try this and don't do that. And, you know, when I got to school, um, you know, I was, I you know, was curious and, you know, started going to parties and starting to see what drinking was about and, you know, just put myself in just atmospheres that I wasn't, you know, accustomed to and, um, you know, starting to question, you know, some of those things that, uh, you know, I had my daughter while I was in college, you know, um, who with, with my wife now 19 years. So, you know, I kind of lucked out there because I knew that, you know, we were, that I had baby pictures with my wife. So I knew she was the love of my life and I'll probably end up with her, but still just having a kid in college and, you know, um, it just really forced me to look myself in the mirror and figure out, okay, w- w- what direction are you going? And then that's what really caused me to f- fall back on my faith and not because someone there, my pastor or my mom say, Hey, do this and this, I really established relationship for myself and um, not because anyone else forced me and then that's when things really opened up for me and um, that accountability and that um, spiritual growth really took off.
1: So then you signed with the Rams Um, it was a little bit late maybe you picked the draft and then you become a priority free agent and what was that feeling like for you signing with this team that's in the middle of Midwest you have to move Midwest and then you have to uh, try and make the roster what was it like for you?
2: Like I said, it, it wasn't, again, like football was just so much a part of my life. I never thought of, and maybe it was ignorance. Like when I got picked up, I was like, I'm on the team. Like I didn't think, like I, you know, mm-hmm. once we were going to mini camps and rookie camps and all that stuff, I started to see other guys like freaking out. Like, oh my God, I want to get cut and looking for the, talking to their agents and all that. I just literally went out and played football. And, and that was another testament to my faith. Like I just felt like God has me for a reason. I overcame so much. I love the sport and I got to provide for my family. You know, this opened up doors to, you know, just share my testimony and, and to, to be an example. And, um, at that time, I mean, Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Anise Williams, I mean, it was just a phenomenal atmosphere for, you know, a person of faith because, those guys were having Bible studies, and they were walking it. So it was like the perfect team for me because I just fit right in. You know what I mean? And just became one of the guys and, you know, was blessed to, you know, earn my spot and work my way up. And, you know, I'm looking up as a rookie and breaking records and earning just different accolades within the Rams um community and and it just was it was awesome and i knew that this is what i wanted to do and where i wanted to be
1: now many people probably don't remember you playing you were there uh for three years you were primarily a back running back but when you were on the field there was you you made some plays man you really did and you were definitely a part of that Mm -hmm. team that i remember and years later looking back on your time with the rams what does it mean to you to have worn the horns
2: it means a lot to me. I mean, Coach Martz and, you know, Coach Montgomery, um, those guys taking a chance on me, you know, after me not like missing years of my college and just saying, you know what? And I I was getting calls during the draft, hey, we're going to pick you. We're going to do this. And then being able to be a free agent and really step back and say, where do I fit? I mean, most people thought I was crazy to pick St. Louis because they're like, Dude, you're never gonna play. Like they got Marshall Faulk. They got like Woody. Why would you pick that team? And it wasn't so much that it was, I was looking at you know who I could learn from and the system. And I knew I could fit in that system. And um, like you said, you know I earned a spot as a starting returner at punt return, kickoff return. And Mark Marks was like, "You're you're that's your spot until you, I tell you otherwise." And then you know when Marshall would get either dinged up or tired or whatever. I had my opportunity to step on the field and just grow and learn from those guys, and that's you know, th- that was my role, and I, and I was content with that because I understood you know the process of you know, the, you know what it was to, to to earn your earn your way. So it was awesome, you know, awesome so much so I, I followed Marts, you know, to Detroit, you know, so um, I got I got a chance to to fit into that system and be around. Those guys that I felt understood, you know, where I, where I was at as a person and as a player.
1: Now, backing up here for a second, you also mentioned a lot of your teammates that shared your faith. What was it like being able to join a team with that group of guys who shared the same faith that you have?
2: It was it was awesome. You know what I mean? It, it just it strengthened your faith, and you were able to, you know, again coming out of college, you know, not just on the sports side, but you know, the social life and all that stuff, and that transition, and having you know, a Kurt Warner where you watch some TV and you're thinking, oh, yeah, sounds great. And But literally watch him walk it day by day. And then Aeneas Williams, you know, you know, keep you accountable. And, you know, you're reading the word, you're praying with these guys, you're going to church with these guys, you're going out to eat with these guys and just seeing how they operated, you know, off the field, you know, just really stuck with me. And um, a lot of us, you know, young guys to say, you know, there are stereotypes that come with professional athletes and within the locker room, but to be able to be comfortable and be able to stand on your face and not be ridiculed and judged because the leaders of your team operate the way you do was, was priceless.
1: So you did retire after four seasons in the NFL. What did lead to that decision?
2: Well, it just injuries, you know, unfortunately I played my three with, you know, St. Louis. And then when I went to Detroit, um, you know, the, the, the same deal, you know, happened. And, um, when I chose not to come back and and went to Atlanta, um, just you know, right during the preseason, I got hurt again. And, um, thank God, you know, it was right on that cusp where I was able to get credited another season. And, um, that that's what really just you know um, put me into the thing. And I don't know if you don't have a foundation, live real, listen free. And I was actually people don't know I was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis when I was like thirteen. I was like twelve or thirteen, so I was already doing things that I should not have been doing. You know, playing football with arthritis as a kid, but it really didn't turn you know become evident until my second injury. And um, I just couldn't, you know, pass a physical, and and you know, teams wouldn't take a chance on me because at that time I, my rheumatoid arthritis really was full blown.
1: Years later now, though, you are active still in the game. Matter of fact, you have a son that main schools are already noticing, including Nebraska. So, how have your experiences as a player, and now, by the way, your son's coach? How has that helped you mentor your kids and help keep them on the path towards success?
2: Oh, it's, it's definitely an advantage, um, you know, for my boys because, you know, I'm transparent and I, and I just pay it for like anything as far as that I went through, you know, I'm not tight lipped about it. Hey, you know, this is what I went through. Not saying you're going to go through that. So the expectations aren't, you know, unrealistic. You know what I mean? And I'm able to talk to them about, hey, some of the things that I did right, some of the things I did wrong, some of the guys that I know of. So I just, I'm just a book of information and it's not just for my boys, but my players or people I come in contact with and, um, you know, just helping them realize their passion and what it really takes to play at a high level. But also you can use this sport to open other doors. You know what I mean? It's You know, you know the percentages of people playing professionally and even going to college. But, um, you know, just been blessed with, yeah, you know, three awesome kids and my my boys. Believe it or not, I was I wanted them to play baseball, but you know they just you know once they touch the football, I'm like, oh boy, you know. And I got you know got to see just you know that their talent and they're just continuing to grow.
1: So also as a coach, and I know too because I've coached as well, you have an opportunity not to just to shape your kids' lives, but other kids' lives. You know to bring them into a different plane of success. So how has coaching high school football helped you impact Young Minds?
2: Oh, I use it as a ministry. I mean, those kids, I mean, again, I talk about how different it is. I'm pretty sure people were saying the same thing when we were coming through. But um, honestly, with the social media and the the distraction that these kids have, I just really um, use it as a ministry to be able to pour in those disciplines they they use in the field to be able to get through life you know the and and just be accountable and and have high expectations of themselves to be able to go out and be you know uh, good citizens within the community and um you know being at a private school um i love it because administration backs up forward you know a faith-based program and um you know you can't hide behind some things and and i don't have to watch what i have to say as far as you know um, talking about their testimony and all those things so um it's really, I really like it, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, I know the kids get something out of it, but it's also a blessing to me as well.
1: It's really weird hearing talk about that, especially here on social media. I, there was a recent study that I saw where kids in a classroom, just in a classroom setting itself, they're getting, I believe, is 40 or 60 notifications an hour. <laughs> I think it might be, I'm off somewhere, a minute or an hour, somewhere in there. Either way, it's ridiculous. Different distractions go into a kid's life just through social media alone. And here you are, having to do the same thing on the football field. I mean, it's not an easy yeah. job. It doesn't matter if you're in a private school or in a public school, it's just, it's just not an easy job. Now, today, though, you also run or run a performance a development program for running backs. And you started this back in 2010. What can you tell us about your organization there?
2: Um, you know, it's one of the things I've, I've always did, um, when I was in high school, when even college and through just working with camps, um, you know, cause I went through that, you know, just being able to meet some professional athletes or, you know, being able to go to, um, FCA or AIA and being able to be around like-minded kids that are going through this process. And I just knew like, whether it was a counselor or a coach or whatever, I wanted to continue, to be involved in this. And, um, that's what I did. You know, I, I travel all over the country, you know, helping other camps or programs. And then, you know, when I stepped aside, um, and we made St. Louis our home base, some of my old teammates, we started a, a training platform where literally each position we had an X Ram and, um, you know, some guys started to move away and, you know, different philosophies came involved. So, I just stepped away and said, you know what I'm going to do with what I know. I've been playing running back my whole life. My brother, you know, played at a high level, my dad, my grandfather, you know. So that's really where uh, running performance started. And um, I was able to hone in and just concentrate on those skill sets and, you know, do some pretty cool things um, uh, with that. And uh, like I said, if I knew half the things I learned from just Marshall Falk or at that professional level and knew at the youth level, You know, it'd be night or day, and um, seeing some of these kids come through the program and be able to give them some of that information that maybe they coach don't even know, you know, at the youth level, or coaches that might not have the opportunity to concentrate on these little minute details, it's just really rewarding to see them, you know, go on and have success.
1: That's pretty cool. And so you're actually developing these guys outside of high school outside of college, just getting one on one time with them to help make them sounds like not just better football but just better people.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean my daughter's had a graduation party and I you know, I have my daughters, you know, graduating high school and I have third, fourth graders showing up at the party with their families because we've established relationships with them, you know, and they're running around, you know, coming to the house because they're they're bought in and, and you know, it's so much bigger than Oh, that's Coach Harris, and he played the NFL, and he's my trainer. And then that's it. You know, it's just it's an ongoing relationship that that you know I just pride myself on um, being able to help these kids.
1: All right, so last question for you, but it's it's a big one. Okay, looking back on your life, looking back on all your struggles, all your successes, everything you've accomplished on the field and off. What do you want? Rams fans to remember about you and why
2: ooh, as a biggie I told you <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny as I and it's you know, I've never been to the Midwest until I came here and played with the Rams, and um one thing I can say is, you know when I still get stopped and it's just funny, they bring up that Steelers game. And um when Marshall's hurt, and then my first start scored three touchdowns and we were able to earn home field advantage in the playoffs. It, that game within itself I don't think people realize the impact. Like I'm a PA boy. You know, and being able to go back to Pennsylvania and play with Mark as a PA boy, play with my brother, like that has it has so many layers to that game. And I felt like that was the time where I was like, you know what, I belong. And still have fans realize like, oh my god, like that's when even the fantasy world, fantasy football, start getting like big, and people mm-hmm. will call me it's like, dude, you earned me so many points that week. And it's like what, <laughs> but um, I, I, I think you know, just fans just realized that you know I was a utility player. I worked hard. I kept my nose, you know, down and. You know, just wanted to, to be a part of a team, you know, was never about me and um, realizing some of the guys I was able to play with. I mean, just off of that team, the Hall of Famers and Marshall inviting me out to the, you know, a man, you know, his induction, and Orlando Pace and, you know, that stuff that I don't take for granted. And um, like when you say those horns, you know, I was always a fan, even through Eric Dickerson and to be able to be a part of that no matter how big or how small, you know, when I stepped on that football field, I gave 150% and that's what it was. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, um, that, that, if that answers your question, um, and I know when people pull me aside, they're like, man, you're a tough little sucker. You know what I mean? So (laughs) I, I have pride in that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, a lot of guys today stay on football teams because they have to play special teams. Like, Culture April, that was, I mean, we had starters fighting, you know, to get on special teams because that was just the atmosphere, which was very unique, I think, in the NFL level where guys wanted to play for each other and, um, you know, be able to compete. So there's, that's one thing I, I did.
1: There is something special about that kind of player, the player that wants the, the tough job, the gritty job, the special teams job. There's also something special about wearing the horns. Unfortunately, since our franchise has won a bunch of Super Bowls, but it has done a lot of things in the game itself. There's a lot of different landmark things that involve the Rams franchise, whether whether it meant desegregation again it, when the team moved to L.A., to just the painted horns and the helmet, to the greatest show on turf. There are so many pieces to this Rams history, and you're a part of it. I mean, you get to wear the horns. You you were a part of the greatest show on turf, and for that, I appreciate you You know, taking the leap of faith um, to... Stick around that team and choosing them, and also just you know that you are willing to share your life with us on the show. We really appreciate it. And if you could, though, let people know where they can find you on social media, it's going to follow you
2: for sure. Um, I'm on Twitter, um, it's a uh, coach Harris underscore 33, and um, that's my, 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 my personal deal, that's the only thing I really have. And outside of that, um, my company run it performance. Train Run It we on Instagram And Twitter as well Alright So Alan Thanks so much for coming to the show Really appreciate it
1: And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon Yes sir Thanks for having me I enjoyed it I wonder what would have happened With Harris Had he not Had the injuries He's had early in college I wonder where he would have been drafted I wonder if his career Would have been longer um, But I I also see value in the three years he spent with the Rams. He was a, a, a big part in terms of the, the running game, special teams, and I think sometimes you lose track of that when you have a bunch of bigger names on your roster. A really good guy. I hope to have him on the show again just to talk football because there's a lot there for him, especially with running back development. I guess I should have asked him about Tar Targaryen, shouldn't I? have? All right, so moving on. We are looking for sponsors. So if you are interested, reach out to us at RamsTalk1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. And don't forget, we have another show on the network too, Talkin' Halo. So if you're an Angels fan and you want to learn more about Mike Trout, the game itself, or where this team is going, check that out. And we are still working on that Dodgers podcast. Just We'll see. We're still working on that one. All right. The second part of our podcast today is our time with Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati. I used to live in Cincinnati. I've I've moved around quite a bit in my life, and he was a voice that I heard a lot, and he knows a lot of things, and he's got a lot to say. So here he is, Mo Egger for the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, folks, I'm here with Mo Egger from ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati, one of my favorites. Of all the folks we've had in the show, I, I used to listen to Mo growing up, um, not growing up, geez, where am I going, not that far back, but years ago when I lived in Cincinnati, and now he's on
4: the show. Mo, how you doing? You know, you're getting old when people tell you they listened to you growing up, and that's <laughs> starting to happen for me, and I don't like it. <laughs> well I didn't mean, I don't
1: know why I said growing up I, I was thinking about my Rams days uh, you know growing up was a kid but really you know the last 10 years or so being down there you know catching Reds games and listening to 1530 on the way home from work and you know that's where I even knew where to look for you when I started doing tour around the league was remembering hey, Mo Egger that was a great voice to talk to so here you are but you know the the Bengals are a confusing franchise for many reasons but you know we they were pretty steady under Marvin Lewis, but what went wrong last year in twenty? You know, for the Bengals in twenty eighteen.
4: Well, I, you know, I don't think it's any, it's any one thing that you could focus on specifically. I, I thought the whole vibe of the franchise, quite frankly, for the last three years, has been kind of stale. Um, if you want to speak in you know generalities, it it just kind of felt like at the end of in twenty fifteen when they lost that game to the Steelers like the window really had closed and and maybe that was going to be you know Marvin's last Marvin Lewis's last chance at, at getting through in the playoffs and since then the roster has deteriorated you know that team they had in 2015 really had no weaknesses they had the second best scoring defense in the NFL they had a great offensive line they had quality healthy you know pass catchers all over the place Andy Dalton had a career year the team really didn't have any major weakness and you know it was why it was so profound when they lost because you knew number one it was going to be hard to replicate that kind of team and number two you just knew that that the toll of free agency and age and and those sort of things were eventually going to take their toll and and they did and i think i think those things have caught up to this team in each of the last three years and it kind of cratered last year their defense was historically bad uh, the worst in the NFL. Um, it had no strength, and I was maybe a little bit naive in thinking this team would have a pretty good pass rush. That never materialized. Uh, the linebacker core was just awful, and I think they paid for years of really kind of cutting corners at that position. Offensively, you know, the offensive line was average at best, um, but they 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 lacked create you know creativity offensively. Uh, and then you know injuries took their toll and you know i i've heard often from fans over the last couple of months who have said well look this team started four and one you know injuries look at the injuries that's why things fell apart first of all i think the franchise is kind of banking on that this year second of all uh, while injuries were certainly a massive factor uh, this team was leaking even when it got to a good got off to a good start last year the defense was just miserable and this quarterback and this offense, uh, for all of their attributes, simply aren't good enough to overcome a defense that is as bad as last year's was. They're not capable of outscoring teams like Kansas City and Cleveland and New Orleans, who are opponents who just ran past them last year. And, uh, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it was a combination of things, but I, I think really what, what made last year so frustrating for, for Bengals fans was I think a lot of people looked at it as something that could have been headed off had they been a little bit more... Uh, proactive with, you know, knowing what to do with their head coach and the coaching staff had they decided to invest in some offensive linemen. Rams fans obviously know what Andrew Whitworth can do. Um, I I think it was a series of events that really sort of led to the the franchise kind of bottoming out last year, and I think ultimately led to them determining that uh, it was time for a new direction with the coaching staff.
1: So now with all those things going on, did the Bengals wait too long to let Marvin Lewis go. And what do you make of the Zach Taylor hiring?
4: Well, in terms of Marvin Lewis, I was a proponent of moving on at the end of the 2017 season. Because it just kind of felt like, you know, they had gone 7-9 that year. And frankly, and I think you and I talked about this a year ago, they had made up their mind in 2017. Marvin wasn't going to come back. And then they won those last two games. They beat the Detroit Lions on Christmas Eve, knocked them out of the playoffs. They won that game against the Baltimore Ravens on New Year's Eve. That sent the Bills to the postseason, and I really believe that 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 caused a change of heart with ownership. And I, I think in a in a situation like this, first of all, Mike Brown, the owner, is not a very impulsive guy. If he has r- arrived at the conclusion that it's time to let Marvin Lewis go, it's that's probably the, the the right way to go. And and instead, he did something pretty impulsive, and he decided to to bring him back based on those final two games and. It just kind of felt like, first of all, you could hear the wind being sucked out of the balloon when it comes to the fan base. They were ready to move on. I think many facets of the organization were ready to move on, and I I think they paid dearly for that last year. I think they paid dearly for that last year on the field, and I know they paid dearly for that in the box office because nobody went to Bengals games a year ago. I was not of the belief at the time. Uh, When they lost that playoff game to the Steelers That that Marvin should have been held accountable I think though with the benefit of hindsight It might have made sense at that point To kind of give the franchise a fresh start In terms of Zach Taylor uh, You know I'll admit I have have mixed feelings Uh, I I can certainly understand The direction they were going in Which is where a lot of teams went They're looking for You know a young offensive minded head coach Everybody's looking for uh, the next Sean McVay Mm -hmm. So go get the guy who was working for Sean McVay At the same time I'm a little jaded because I saw every snap of that season when Zach Taylor was the offensive coordinator at the University of Cincinnati, and that was a, a a terrible offense. And that's not all Zach Taylor's fault by any stretch, but it's hard to shake that from your mind when you know that's that, he's not a very experienced guy. So you take the year that was closest to you, and that's when he was you know just up the road at UC. You saw the way he ran that offense, and it left a lot to be desired. I think it's fair to keep that in mind. I don't think it's fair to use that as, you know, uh, the only indictment against Zach Taylor. I I certainly think his youth and his energy, and and frankly, I think the way he's handled himself publicly have been sharp departures from Marvin Lewis, which I find to be invigorating. But there's such a lack of experience on this staff as a whole. The offensive coordinator has never called plays. The head coach has never been a head coach. The defensive coordinator has never really been a defensive coordinator, doesn't have a lot of experience there. And so... I don't know. I'm certainly more interested in how things play out with this coaching staff than I would have been under another coaching staff under Marvin Lewis. But I really don't know how this is going to work this year. And I think the good news from a coaching standpoint is they're basically bringing the same team back together. The bad news is from a fan standpoint, well, you're looking at a head coach that has no experience and a team that as a whole went 6-10 and 10 last year. So how excited can you really get? Well, here's,
1: here's my thought, though, and you mentioned the next Sean McVay. Well, I think some people will forget that Sean McVay may have been a young guy coming over from Washington, but he also brought Wade Phillips from Denver with him. And so it wasn't just him. It was several experienced coaches around him. So I my red flags are going up, when I'm hearing you talk about an offensive coordinator that I've been a coordinator before, a defensive coordinator that I've been a defensive coordinator before, And, of course, you had a – now a head coach who – just last year was the Rams quarterback coach for one season, and that's it. If yeah. I, I were you, I'd be concerned, too.
4: Yeah, I, I think a lot of us were sort of assuming that they were going to follow L.A.'s blueprint. Um, the name Jack Del Rio had been thrown out so much so, much so that I, I kind of thought it was maybe not an inevitability that he was going to be the defensive coordinator, but a very, very strong likelihood. And kind of going that Wade Phillips route, a defensive coordinator who had been a head coach before, a lot of experience, um, and when that didn't happen, that whole coaching search for a D coordinator kind of turned into a little bit of a joke. Uh, they couldn't find one. They hired Lou Anarumo. You know, you, you consider the, the late start they got off to because of having to wait for the Rams to play in the Super Bowl. So they finally bring Zach Taylor to town. It was another couple of weeks before they, they announced who their defensive coordinator was. And I think that's substantial for the Bengals who who have their coaches do more scouting than than most teams around the NFL and so as much as they'll downplay it I think they were kind of behind the eight ball a little bit when the when the pre-draft process started I think the other thing you know that people fail to kind of keep in mind and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here is if you look at what the Rams did in terms of how they built their roster for Sean McVay it's the exact opposite philosophically of what the Bengals do to build their roster the Rams were very proactive, they made trades, they signed free agents, they spent a lot of money, and they had a quarterback under a rookie contract. Uh, the Bengals don't have a quarterback under a rookie contract, they are not a very aggressive team when it comes to free agency in the draft, and so you know, I think for people who are just looking at, we'll go get the next Sean McVay, my thing was, go be the next LA Rams, go be aggressive, we're in a day and age where uh, trades and free agency are used to build teams, good teams, teams that are good for more than a year, more than they've ever been. And this franchise has always been reluctant and I think continues to be reluctant to do so. I just
1: remember living down there and thinking when it comes to Bengals, and, and, and please bite back if, if, if you think I'm wrong, but my impression of the Bengals has always been they weren't willing to do the hard things in terms of, as a as an organization. They weren't willing to take the things that meant risk. They weren't willing to take the things that t- that meant at spending more money on free agents or more money into the sky of apartment to pull people in. I always just kind of felt like the Bengals just didn't have the edge within the organization to do what it takes to win long term, and that's why they couldn't win long term with with Marvin Lewis.
4: I, I, I think the, the, the word that's been unfairly used when it comes to the Bengals is cheap. You're not a cheap franchise when you take a guy like Bobby Hart and give him about a five to 600% raise. You're you're not a cheap franchise when you're paying Geno Atkins the kind of money he's getting or you're paying A.J. Green the kind of money he's getting. They've, I, I think they're willing to spend money. I, I think what it is, Mike Brown famously, the owner of the team, famously hates change, hates it. I mean, he hates it the, the way I hate dieting. He, he just, he hates anything that disrupts continuity and consistency. And that's why Marvin Lewis was here for 16 years. And, and frankly, that's, that's why I believe Andy Dalton's going to be here for a while. They, they just have really, really, really been slow to embrace that as an organization. And I, I think it's fair to wonder uh, whether, you know, Zach Taylor and his staff were hired with that kind of thinking in mind. Uh, I think the other thing you have to understand about Mike Brown is, you know, this is a family operation. Mike Brown, in in many respects, runs the the Bengals the way his dad did four decades ago, and that was called outdated. That was called antiquated. Um, This is not the most modern, forward-thinking franchise. Now, they've expanded their coaching staff. This is the biggest coaching staff they've ever had uh they have done some things in in the front office um maybe not necessarily restructuring but they've they've shifted some responsibilities that i think at least give the the franchise a different type of feel but yeah you know look it, it's at times it's worked this team did go to the playoffs five straight years and if you look at their rosters you know 2012 through 2015 those were really some of the best rosters in the NFL and and they did it through you know really drafting well signing guys to really smart contracts um, getting some value-free agents. I mean, they, they did it in, in a way that a lot of people were saying was the right way. But it, it, it just over the last couple of years, you've seen how the NFL has shifted a little bit. It's, it's a, a little bit more risk-oriented. You see a lot of teams willing to take risks in free agency. You see a lot of teams willing to take risks making trades. And this is just not a franchise. This is just not an owner that really embraces those things. And sometimes there's good to that, and as we've seen over the last couple of years, and quite frankly, for the overwhelmingly, uh, you know, uh, overwhelming number of years over the last 28, 29 years, it it often sort of keeps this franchise from getting to where so many people here want it to be. Well, I do want to
1: clarify one thing. When I meant, like, in terms of spending money, I meant on bringing free agents in. I've never felt sure. like anybody ever had to worry about outspending the Bengals for a free agent they really wanted. Mm-hmm. Now, they've I, like you can point out Bobby Hart and guys like him. Yeah, they'll spend money on them. I'm, just, I'm talking about being in the free agent competition to try and trying to get people who are somewhere else and get them to Cincinnati. <coughs> it always seemed like I never had to worry about them if I'm a Rams guy competing for a free agent.
4: But... I think there's two. Th- I think there's two things with that. I think number one, uh, the Bengals are not a team that ever overpays anybody. Now, again, there's good to that because they're never one of these teams that, when the new league year starts, they got to dump a bunch of guys to get under the cap. Uh, usually, their contracts are pretty smart. Usually, they're value contracts. But I think the illustration that most Bengals fans would give you in terms of this this franchise not really being willing to go above and beyond is you know, we're a cold weather city, uh, November and December and and, and and January for that matter. It, it can be pretty brutal here. Uh, the Bengals do not have an indoor practice facility. Uh, they've got the land to build it. It wouldn't take all that much. Uh, it would be like me reaching in my pocket for Mike Brown to go ahead and get one built. Um, I don't think it's a financial thing. I just think it's a, why do we need that kind of thing? thing? Uh, they do use one up the road at the University of Cincinnati, but You know, everybody else, the Pittsburgh Steelers, all the teams they're competing with have an indoor practice facility. I've never heard of a free agent who has said, you know, I'm not going to Cincinnati because they don't have one, but you can't tell me it would hurt. And you can't tell me it wouldn't make your coach's job a little bit easier. And you can't tell me it wouldn't make the players you have a little bit happier and a little bit more enthusiastic about coming to work. I I think when people talk about this, this, this franchise being unwilling to do, you know, everything needed, Um, to ensure that they have a winning team and develop a winning culture. I think it's things like that, that to some might not matter. And I think in the grand scheme of things matter less than people make them out to, but they do matter. And I think that's a fair criticism of the Bengals. I've said this to a couple of people, Zach Taylor has talked openly about he and his, I think he has four kids. Uh, They're living in two hotel rooms. And I've said, you know, If, uh, if Zach Taylor had taken a job with the Dallas Cowboys, don't we think he's given a house until he finds out where he's going to live? It's those things again on, on surface level don't matter, but it's those little things that if you're an NFL franchise, I kind of assume you do here. You kind of wonder why they don't.
1: Well, that's one of the things I I thought over the years was the, the little things. But with the actual roster, and you mentioned free agency, what were some of the big free agency gains the team made this year, and what were some of the biggest losses?
4: I don't know if they made any gains in free agency, quite frankly. Uh, And I think that really frustrated a lot of people, because they talked so much, you know, when they changed coaches about, well, new day. It's going to be a new way of doing things, and then it was kind of the same old, same old. They sat out and... They signed some guys, you know, they signed a cornerback by the name of B.W. Webb and, and players like that, but but nobody that's expected to make a, a major impact. I think from a, a defection standpoint, the biggest name is Vontez Burfict, who goes to Oakland, and I frankly think that's addition by subtraction. I think that was as much of a symbolic departure from Marvin Lewis as it was, you know, the mechanics of our linebacker position not being all that good, but he also wasn't a very effective player last year. They're basically, Derek, bring it back the same team as last year, and, and that's, that's frustrating on many levels for fans. I think on, on some levels, you know, there is some good young talent on this roster. There is a, a, a nice core of established players, but I think the frustrating thing is even if this bunch does better than it did last year, and I do think they had a pretty productive draft, I do think if this bunch does better than last year, that ceiling still seems pretty low. They're probably not going to be good enough to win the AFC North. Probably not going to be good enough to get a wild card. And so my point of view from the get go is they should start stripping the roster and effectively tanking, but they've uh they've obviously not done that either. Well, talk about the draft <laughs> class.
1: What did you make of it? How did you feel overall what you know how'd you grade it and so on and so forth?
4: I think if you view it from a pure player acquisition standpoint, the Bengals did okay. Um, it, you know, obviously they've started to overhaul their offensive line. That began with last year's draft when they traded down to get Cordy Glenn, and then they used the pick they got on Billy Price. They they drafted a, a a tackle from Alabama in the first round and Jonah Williams, that some people had as one of the best five players in this draft. And and I think you could play him anywhere on the offensive line, and and he might instantly be your best offensive lineman. And I think that's a really good pickup. They also drafted a center. From Ohio State, who I think they look at long-term being a guard that I think could start for this team this year. I think they're better on the offensive line. Their biggest hole was linebacker. And, uh, you know, when you're you're not in the top ten, we spend a lot of time wondering, okay, is Devin Bush going to be there? Well, as it turns out, the Pittsburgh Steelers jump up to the tenth spot and pick him up. I think they would have been very, very, very likely to take either of the two Devons. I don't believe Devin White was ever going to fall to him. And so it really kind of became a question of, all right, they didn't get a linebacker in the first round. When is it going to happen? They got a kid in the third round from NC State and Jermaine Pratt that they are really high on. And, and the people that I've talked to who covered the ACC seem to be really high on as well. For me, though, I would have taken Dwayne Haskins. Um, and I know he's a, an area guy from Ohio State. The biggest question looming over this team um, for for the for the short term, for the near future, is going to be what do you do with Andy Dalton's contract? Uh, he's under contract for 2019 and 2020. Mike Brown has said, you know, for now we're not going to give him a contract extension. If I'm Andy Dalton, I want more money because I'm watching the quarterback market explode. But if I'm the Bengals, I'm not going to be that willing to give it to him. And if you're not going to give it to him now, then you got to be open to other ideas. Well... Dwayne Haskins fell to him at number 11. He was there. Uh, obviously, a lot of people think he's a bit of a project, but you still have Dalton for the short term. You could have had uh, Andy groom him, which he would have been more than willing to do. And and you could have stashed Dwayne Haskins for a year and, and maybe even given him a chance to play later in the season. They didn't do that. Uh, I would have been interested in trading for Josh Rosen. You know, if you look at what they did in the second round, they traded down to the 52nd spot and they took a a tight end from Washington in Drew Sample that most people seem to think would have been there on Saturday, I would have taken that pick and traded it for Josh Rosen, which would have incurred almost no risk. It is the exact type of deal that you would think the Bengals would like because there's almost no risk. You don't have to pay him much of anything. You get him for three years. If he's not very good, you cut him loose or not out anything. They didn't do that. And so I kind of view the draft from two different standpoints. From the standpoint of, I think, starting to address your most important position where you are limited i think they 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 blew a couple of opportunities i think when you look at it from a plug holes for the short term and make your roster better i think they did okay
1: all right so with all that you you actually just nailed my next question i was going to andy next so (laughs) great job (laughs) with much of the roster done Okay, in terms of the building process, and you already mentioned this is you know this is not a year they should probably tear it down. Where does the Bengals sit right now? Where do they sit in terms of the AFC North, and how many wins do you actually see in their schedule for next year?
4: Well, I think this division is going to be really tightly bunched. Um, you know, I I buy the Cleveland hype to an extent. I think those who are handing this division to that team are being a little bit short sighted. Um, I certainly think they have a better team than the Bengals. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be interesting because of the playmakers they lost. But I kind of expect that team to kind of get back to what you've identified the Pittsburgh Steelers with, which is running the ball and playing better defense. And I think Devin Bush is really going to help that team. And, you know, the Baltimore Ravens are an interesting squad. They're really kind of directionless. You know, they were going nowhere. They gave the quarterback job to Lamar Jackson. He was fantastic. And then you saw both the good and bad of him in that playoff game against the L.A. Chargers. I think they are, you know, for lack of a better term, I think they're the wild card. They're one of the wild cards in the AFC, not in terms of getting a wild card spot, but just you can convince me the Ravens can win 10 games. You can convince me that the, the, they're going to win six games. The Bengals, there's just so much that's really hard to quantify. Are they really going to be that much better on the offensive line? Are they going to be appreciably better on defense where they're trying to improve from having the worst unit in the league last year? Is Zach Taylor ready to lead a team and call plays? And he's going to do both. Can Andy Dalton take his play to another level in year nine? I think you're counting on a lot of things happening that I think it's, I think, I think each of them can, I don't know that all of them can. I think this is about a six to to maybe best case eight win team. Um, I, I certainly don't think they're, they're really capable of, con- of contending for anything really meaningful. I certainly understand if that if they're healthier this year than they were last year, they're, they're not going to be as non-competitive in some games. I just look at their schedule, and I, I hear really optimistic fans you know, talk about winning nine games, and I go, point them to me. I don't see them right now, especially given the lack of upgrades. I don't think this team's really going to be able to stop anybody, and I don't think they're really going to be able to outscore anybody, and that's not a very good combination.
1: Especially with the Rams. I mean,
4: I'm
1: looking at the Rams. I'm, I'm looking at my chops that game, but also the NFC West. You guys to the NFC West this year, and Seattle's better. The 49ers are better. The 49ers have me really concerned out there, by the way. And so, you know, even without Garoppolo, they have me concerned. So I just look at, I look at the same thing you're seeing. I see a tough division. I see a tough NFC opponent, and I'm wondering where all the wins come from. I don't, I don't see nine wins. I don't see eight wins. Really, I see somewhere between. I see. I see six wins. That's what I see. But
4: yeah, I, I see. Look, I, I see a team that if it can if it can get back to, you know, running the ball really, really effectively, and I think that's how they're building this team to to really feature Joe Mixon. If they can keep Tyler Eifert healthy, and if guys who underperformed last year on defense get better suddenly. Um, you know, you can convince me they can win more games than they than they won last year. And they, they did finish with six wins. But when you go game by game, you know, they're a touchdown underdog week one against Seattle. Jimmy Garoppolo comes to Cincinnati week two. Those look like two losses. Week four, you have to go to Pittsburgh. They never win there, and it's a Monday night game. So, you know, that you're you're certainly kind of against the eight ball early. You talked about playing the NFC West, uh, the Rams games neutral site in, in London uh the the division is obviously really tough uh the browns whipped them twice last year and looked better than they were a year ago i, I and, and and to me it kind of comes back to you know i i talked about it often when the offseason began i said look you're not going to win big this year so let's move on let's let's maybe see you know the the, the teams that tried to trade for antonio brown and, and tried to get odell beckham but couldn't would you like a.j green maybe not quite as good but certainly less of a head case and a total team first guy, what's somebody willing to give you for him? What's somebody willing to give you for Geno Atkins? Is there a team that would want to trade for Andy Dalton? I, I really believed, and I use the word tank, it, not because I think the Bengals should feel the team trying to lose games. I, I think you, you kind of do what the Miami Dolphins did. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, they decided on him. You know what, we're not going to win big with him now, and we're not really that interested in paying him huge money down the road, so let's, let's move on. Let's move on to someone else. And that's in the short term, that's an extraordinarily pessimistic view, but I I, I think it's a smart thing to do. And they didn't do that. I would have done it with the draft. I would have done it with the players they have right now. I would have built around younger guys and I would have accumulated draft choices. And I basically would have said to Zach Taylor, look, you get a mulligan this year because we're not going to be very good. Instead, the message they have sent is last year was the coaching staff's fault. We're bringing everybody back. And with different coaches, we expect to do better. And I think there's, there's great danger in doing that because I don't think it's going to yield that many wins.
1: All right, Mel, can you let folks know where they can find you on social media?
4: I have a, a Twitter account, at MoEgger1530. There's a Facebook page. Uh, there's Instagram. I think my MySpace page from 2003 is still up. <laughs> uh, yeah, Twitter's the can, main spot. Mo 1530 Can they catch 30. your show at all
1: online? Are is are
4: your shows ESPN1530.com, ESPN1530.com, or of course on the uh, free iHeartRadio app? Just look for ESPN1530, or type in my name, Mo Egger, E R. All
1: right. Thanks so much, Mo. I, I'll be trying to reach out to you again. Come come what. Uh, Come London time to talk some more Rams and Browns, not Browns, jeez, Rams and Bengals. I'm sorry I said that. And uh, <laughs> so much for coming this I look forward to that.
4: All right, and I look forward to that. Man. You
1: got it. Right, thank you. Bye, right, ma'am. So here's my question for all of you How many of you are actually going to make it to the London game? If you're going to go, send us an email. We'd like to keep in touch with you, well, maybe borrow some pictures from you, get them up on the website, credit you, of course, if you're interested. We're going to want to talk with you after the game just to get your experiences about what it's like to watch an NFL game in London, what it was like to watch your team travel for it, the whole thing. We had uh, Sky on a couple years ago when, for the Rams when they went over to London, and it was a nice experience for him, and, and hopefully the same will be for you. So that wraps up for us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. We also have the, the Facebook group, Rams Talk Room. You can find me on Twitter at DCAPALA, D-C-I-A-P-A-L-A. Don't forget it's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those places. And don't forget that IEBeatRadio.com plays our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So for the entire crew here at Rams Talk, want to thank you. We'll talk to you again this Sunday. Have a great one.